You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! Welcome to episode 40! Whoa, 40! We made it. Over the hill. Middle-aged. Middle-aged. The new 20. <laughs> 40's the new 20. I'm proud that we've reached 40 episodes. We haven't missed a week yet. They say 95% of podcasts do not reach 50 episodes. Really? Yeah. 95%. 95%. We've read too, like we're able to look at a lot of our analytics and there's a lot of data now just on podcasts in general and we can kind of go in and see our weekly listeners, but also... We've noticed that you really don't have to have this huge widespread audience. To, oh, we've got a huge widespread which audience. Which we have, so. of oh, course. Yeah. Yes. But I was going to say, for anybody who wants to start a podcast, you, uh, it doesn't take much really to gain momentum. And well, you got to put in the work and the time and, you know, know what to say when you're talking into a microphone. <laughs> well, I'm learning that. We're coming up with good things to say occasionally. Occasionally. Our guests really are towing the line, I yeah, would say. We have, we have some great guests, and we're very fortunate to get to talk to really cool people with cool stories. And this week's guest is another one of those. She's the coolest, I have very to cool. say. Very cool. Yeah. Very interesting career. Christina Martin, we might as well say her name, you know? Yeah, it's not a secret. <laughs> yeah. Quick story about Christina. When she was here, she let us know when she was early in her singer-songwriter career, she met up with a mutual friend of ours, Steph Jolene, who was also a podcast guest a couple of months ago. And I always think it's important to let people know when nice things are said about them behind their back. And so Christina let us know that Steph was very welcoming and sharing some of the tips and secrets with the music industry and readily there to answer any questions and show her contacts, which we've since let Steph know about. But I want to also add to that story and say some things behind Christina's back to oh. all of our listeners and that she has since really returned that very similar favor to me. So yeah. she's become such a, a wonderful friend really and, and resource for things so she's always sending me links to funding or um, she sent me this app recently that uh, helps with mental health things and uh, meditations I've asked her about skincare and fashion and I just want to give a shout out to her with not only was she exceptional on this episode and a lot of fun but uh, she's just become a really wonderful person to have in my life yeah, she's great. And we didn't talk about this on our podcast. I mentioned it on hers, but... Uh, and yeah, I we were guests on hers. I kind of surprised her with it, but in uh, another nice story showing how nice she is. But uh, years back when I was first starting off playing, playing music, I was at the ECMAs in Moncton or Fredericton. I can't remember. Somewhere in New Brunswick. 
And I was playing this just solo acoustic set in the middle of a hotel lobby at like one in the afternoon. It's a pretty shitty set. Like there's, <laughs> there's people walking by like, oh, what's going on here? Like no one's actually. Rolling out of bed. Yeah. It's just whatever. That's the, the sets that you, you play when you're at that stage of your career. And, uh. I remember, and Christina had already won a few awards, and she, her, and Dale were, you know, had some clout to them. And I played this set, and I know it wasn't feeling bad, but wasn't feeling great. Like it was just whatever, pretty average set, and no one really paying too much attention. And then I got off stage, and Christina and Dale came up to me, and they they stood and watched the whole set and said really nice things and about my songwriting and my voice and it was just really encouraging and you know the, it was a little thing they did but it, it meant a lot those and, things stick with you you yeah. you remembered that about her much like she remembered the the kindness of Steph and yeah. it's full circle so clearly Christina we love you and we think all of our listeners will uh love this episode as well and let's dive right into it. Episode 40 of Mike and Chris, the podcast. Hey, man. Hey. Hi. How's it going? Great. Are we, are we on? Are we recording? We're on. We are. We've been on for half an hour now out in the living room. We've basically done our episode, so we'll just try to repeat everything we've already said. Let's do that. And let's make sure, just all, let's all look around and make sure it's recording right now. And it looks like I see the pink uh, blobs blobs and purple. Waveforms. Technical term there. Yeah, waveforms. Yeah. This is a great space. I love your studio. Thanks. Yeah, there's your a lot of things in here, like a lot of little conversation pieces. If you look around, you just find them. But that, I want that. Let's pick one. Let's uh, a lion. You pick one. That was just named by Nancy Regan herself. The lion is now Lawrence or Larry. And if you go on to the YouTube and search up the town heroes in our music video Cambridge, you'll see a music video starring Kristen Harrington. Mm. And it's about two elderly former infomercial stars who are well at the late stages of their life and they kind of get back together to relive their glory. But uh, Kristen stars in that. And the lion head is from that music video. And it uh, was a Valley Village purchase and about to be thrown out. I, I cannot throw that out. So no, and here it is. If you ever needed some money, you could pitch that whole story on social media and you know do a fundraiser for yourself and sell them. How much do you think I can get for it? Fifty bucks. That's your opening bid. That's the opening bid, and okay. I think it might be the closing bid. It's <laughs> um, pretty nice. We'll so see. you can we'll actually see. put it on your head. Too. It's used. It's used, you guys. Let's be real. We don't know who, how many heads that's, that line has been on. We had that stuffed unicorn that you used in your Poets music video, too, well, yeah. that was covered in. So we threw, there were a bunch of us here, and it was choreographed that we would have a food fight, essentially, except all the food was directed at only Mike. And we did it in our backyard. It was just a mess. He took probably 15 showers and still had, like, mustard yeah. in his hair. Cornstarch was the hardest thing to get out of, But we actually. put that big unicorn out by the side of the road on garbage day and it got picked up like somebody took this home with them thinking that they were gonna give it a bath 
Yeah, well, that could have been, that could have, uh, if you would have had the lion and the unicorn selling together, you could have maybe gotten at 200. And and the music video, you know, the story behind it, which would help sell The story is what sells everything. Yeah. I never realized until we and we met, and especially making that music video, that sometimes music videos have nothing to do with the song. Oh, uh, yeah. Probably right. often don't. So is that like when you make a music video, how are you coming up with an idea if it's not connected to the literal, I guess, translation of the lyrics? Well, sometimes I just ask, I find, I found, uh, you know, directors who had their own idea. Sometimes they'll, I'll kind of be involved, but there have been times when I haven't been involved at all. So that's been nice. I'm trying to think of a specific one. Like we're working on one now that actually, you know, nobody, it's not like, like literal, literal, like uh, for what the song's about. So this will be in the future, but the song, uh, Little Princess, my next single was, you know, sort of like a, it's about um, my relationship with my brother who who died, um, but he was always someone I looked up to. He's a brilliant artist, and like I always wanted to make him proud. And there was a bit of like, oh, if I do this, like, um, you know, I could be cool like him, and uh, can't wait to share my new songs with him, see what he thinks, kind of thing. So, in any case, the music video isn't like that, but but in sharing those details with the director. He came up with a storyline that kind of honors a lot of the meanings and sort of the creative spark and like losing someone, grieving, and then finding. I'm just spoiling the whole fucking thing. I'm going to stop right now. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind. Um, And then, you know, he'll like what I love about working with uh, Brendan Henry is the director I'm working with right now on a a series of videos is uh, that collaboration. He allows me to kind of go, okay, what about this? And you you love your storyline. Like, what about this here? And, and so, um, you know, that's nice, but there, yeah, there's also times when uh, it says, I, I've no, very little involvement other than showing up and trying to look the part. Mm-hmm. Was your brother a musician as well? No, he was a visual artist. Mm-hmm. Um, so he sculpted, he had sculpted at times in his life. And um, uh, he was a great draw, drawer, drawer. He could draw. <laughs> um, and sort of, I remember there was a time when he did these really intricate, elaborate um is it called like dot drawings? <laughs> I don't know. It's not drawing. It's like you just pointillism. Point- sure, pointillism. Sure. Did we just um, invent that? Yeah, I think you did. Yeah. That's great. Yes. He was a pointillist, and <laughs> um, and and he could paint. He could use all kinds of different mediums. I think, but uh, never really. I think settled on one thing because he never he had uh, living with mental illness. Like really, for the mo- most of his adult life didn't really allow him to the time, you know, to focus on art and or even consider it as a thing like it, he, you know, I, I do believe like mental illness robbed him of that um, for sure. But when he did make art, it was pretty fucking cool. You do a lot of advocacy for mental health. I know you released an album that kind of was all about that and a tour to support that. Uh, How has that kind of 
affected you and your audience? Uh, this is something that often brings people together in, in lots of ways. And I assume that putting this out into the world was probably part of a healing time for you and probably helped a lot of other people at the same time. Thanks, Mike. That's nice of you to say. Well, I bet it's true. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't think. <laughs> I know it's true. <laughs> I really, I sincerely don't, don't think I do. Like, oh, I'm just someone who's like willing to be kind of vulnerable and like share my story because uh, our stories are, you know, even just my perspective on like people I've, in, I've been close to me that have gone through stuff. Um, and then I'm not a. I'm not really afraid to talk about it. I, I say that, but I'm sure there's times when I still don't talk about certain things or it's still hard for me. I think my my part of my purpose has been to try to find a way to talk about the tough stuff. And um, songwriting has helped me, yeah, process like my own shit and trauma and history. But then, you know, at some point I was able to start writing like love songs and and songs that were maybe like very deep but still like i like kind of considered a little bit lighter like not so heavy and um yeah and and uh so i never think of myself as an advocate although i mean yeah i guess i do advocate for hey we 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 should sort our shit out because <laughs> no one else is going to do it for us i mean you know ultimately you kind of have to be the one who wants it for yourself and we all need help but we have to do the bulk of the work um, so I try to encourage people to do that and then sharing my stories and my songs and, and really just being trying to set an example is like I do try to live a healthy life and I um, I I try not to do the things that have been bad for me or that I've um, would like take me so far away and rob me of my joy and my gift, I think, which is, you know, being able to create stuff and connect with people um, but like, I'm not, uh, sorry, I'm not the, I feel like I'm an advocate or like, um, uh, is like, I, I know people who are like literally like work so hard to actually advocate for people living with severe mental illness and like doing like the really hard work. And, and then, um, like, I'm not that I just, uh, I'm just kind of like what someone who's like, okay, I'll, I'll try to get some of the word out if, but I don't know what I'm talking about half the time. That makes sense. Yeah, I don't, but I don't think you have to be front and center and dedicating your life to something. Well, to, thank God, to, yeah. <laughs> to be making a change <laughs> and to be showing, like, helping lots of people. Like, you could, <laughs> like, people are advocates for things they don't necessarily even know that they're advocates for. I think at times, I think that I think that's a good, that's a good point, and I think that was kind of uh, you. You kind of all of a sudden realize, like, I'm interested in this thing. Uh, I'm going to talk about it and maybe it'll be, maybe there's a story connected to my song. And then you realize um, somebody comes up after the show and says, well, thanks for mentioning that because I'm, that's my story and no one's ever talked about that before. Um, I'm trying to think of an example, but there was one person who, you know, I, I think who literally came up to a show and I was talking about, um, uh, I was tra I was talking about uh I was probably sharing the story about how my my brother and as a sister as a friend who felt um you know like 
I don't blame myself for what happened to my brother, but I sort of do. Like I sort of I went through this phase where I was like, I think we're all kind of responsible for each other. Um, I don't know how much I agree with that today, but like um, I was just sharing my own personal at that time I was in this phase of like, I could have done more, you know, and I didn't. And here's why I'm just being honest. Like basically I was too selfish to really, maybe it would have made a difference if I'd uh, paid attention to the signs and done something. And anyway, somebody came up after the show and, says, and just thanked me because nobody, they never heard uh, anybody admit that on stage, like if, from a musician at that particular time. I think now we're hearing, obviously, it's great to see so many people, you know, opening up about um, either their own experiences or just mental health, men, I mean, sorry, mental illness, uh, two are different. Um, in in general um yeah because all that means to to me is that if people are talking about it then when they're you know in a state where you might need help or you see someone in in need you're more likely to without shame Mm -hmm. go hey i need help or hey do you need some help with this or how can i help you you know like it's always interesting how your audience can see things in you that you might not even see in yourself either so your intention in telling those stories might not be to, oh, I hope this resonates with somebody in the audience, although, you know, I'm sure to some extent in that example it is. But I'm I'm reminded of recently somebody made the comment even about our podcast that, yes, I, I know you guys are interviewing a lot of artists and entrepreneurs, and but he said, I really see it as a podcast about community and bringing people together and yeah. highlighting those that are movers and shakers, so to speak. And that certainly wasn't part of our messaging or narrative or how we've promoted ourselves. But if that's how it's being received, that's that, what a wonderful compliment. Yeah. So it's even bigger than what we had set out to do. And yeah. so getting that feedback, sometimes you you don't really know who you are, or the impact that you're having until it's received. And then you get that feedback and choose whether or not you want to run with it. Yeah, that's true. I, I tend to shy away from like, I don't want, you know, when, because when I when I do choose to do something, it's genuine, genuinely out of curiosity or like I needed to learn that, so I looked further into it. But I'm also someone who like moves on to lots of different things. I care about a lot of different things. You're curious, and then um, you know sometimes I get kind of taken in a different direction. So I like to kind of be open to. Um, so when somebody, you know, kind of. Um, And I'm also someone who's not really an expert in a lot of things. I'm just like, I'm the lifelong learner, always a beginner attitude. So I feel kind of like, I don't know if I'm embarrassed or like, oh, no, I'm not really an expert in that. So like, like when I, we did, I was invited to do an artist residency with Dr. Kenneth Rockwood um, uh, years and years ago and learn about dementia and Alzheimer's and through spending a very short period of time observing him and his you know observing people who have studied years and years and dedicated their lives to making care better for people and then uh, observing personal stories of people living with um this condition and they're you know talking just talking to people just like you know and all boiled down to like just caring for other people and then i my job was to write some songs and and uh, i was terrified because uh, um i didn't know really anything about what I was writing and I had to kind of go just chill chill the fuck out like it's just about people like it's 
it's just about people and how we can do better and make people's lives a little bit brighter if we can. And there's, and it's still going to be hard and blah, blah, blah. But like, but I was really nervous that people would then think that I would know stuff and start asking me questions about like dementia and like how the mm -hmm. brain worked. And I was, you know, like I actually did get to poke at a brain, but I couldn't talk. I'm so, you know, like I can't actually touch it. I got it? to touch. I went to the brain bank <laughs> for a session um, with a, with a physician and he, yeah, he took out a brain and think parts of a brain and, I what did it feel like? Well, I was wearing gloves. I remember it just being like a rubbery, mm -hmm. a spongy, rubbery. Um, yeah, it wasn't, it was kind of, it's pretty firm though. Like a firm, nice firm tofu. A good brain. Mm -hmm. Nice good smart brain. brain. Yeah. Sounds like a smart one. Yeah, well, this one might have been full of holes, but um, no, <laughs> still intact. Uh, yeah. Was the linkage with that residency that dementia patients often respond to music or no i mean that is a thing for sure but uh i believe and i, I actually another great person to have on your podcast uh, kenneth rockwood um he was very interested in having artists in i think to um maybe see something in a different way than a physician might see something maybe something that could bridge a, a connection or um help improve care in wow. some way or their perspective on yeah treatment um so just how it might be an, a great addition uh yeah to their mission i suppose and um it's an amazing way to look at things yeah that's such a creative mm -hmm. like especially in the medical field you don't often hear those ambitions Ken and Rockwood. that was through dal yeah it was dal, through dal the Halsey? Dalhousie geriatric medical research and um uh, Ken Rockwood was uh, heading that and really phenomenal mm. human. Hi, Ken. If Hi, Ken. Now, yeah, we'd love to, <laughs> I'm love share to meet this. you. I'm going to share this with him uh, now that I'm saying his name. Uh, hey, Ken. <laughs> That's it. So See ya. It sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like you've had lots of interest in your life, but you've been a musician for a lot of that time. So was there... A point where, like, what made you choose that one thing to pursue? Oh, good question. Because I was going to be, was going to be uh, an office, a businesswoman. I didn't know doing what when I was young. I just We were like, all oh. going to be businesswomen. Yeah, we talked about this, I think, before. <laughs> I, like, all I wanted was to a job that I could buy fancy clothes, wear high heels, and, like, have fun at work and maybe uh, pitch some, uh, you know, marketing campaigns. Uh, no. Um, geez, music. Okay, so I did take music as a child and I knew like I had some, like, some kind of, like I knew that I liked trying to make songs on the piano by myself and didn't want anybody else to hear any of it. But I wasn't like a any kind of a prodigy or really good at it and recitals terrified me. And eventually I quit piano. Um, but I always loved like, it was like, like singing by myself. It was kind of self-soothing and, you know, like uh, I dreamed of being a rock star like a lot of people do, I think. And But I wasn't to sports. I was an athlete in in, uh, in in middle school anyway. And What did you play? I played softball. I was a middle blocker. I know it's hard to believe. I'm 5'2 or 3 <gasps> or something. And 
um, softball, basketball for a bit. Um, and then I just was always into like just physical fitness. But those are my main. I think volleyball was like my main. Pa- I was an equestrian for a while, I suppose. Um, and, you know, yeah, that was, you know. Do you think in the Olympics, do you think the horse should get a medal too in equestrian? I think the horse should be fed well. But I just don't <laughs> think the horse gives a shit about uh, any of the. Um, give them a medal. Come give on. Give them a medal. Maybe they'd eat the medal. They might start to lick it. <laughs> a salt, a good, a metal in the shape of us. A, a salt, salt lick in, in the, the shape middle, yes. of a metal. Yeah, yeah, in the shape of a metal. That would be, I, I think, good. Yeah. Um, so we'll pitch so that. How did you end up in Austin as a nanny? Oh, right. From growing up in Nova Scotia. Right. I'm glad this isn't just a five minute interview because, like, some of these stories are so, even in my mind, they're like, that was a long way to, look, took a yeah, long we're time. We're digging to into get the memory there. bank here. <laughs> well, this is, and now we're coming back to when I answer your question, Mike, that it'll be, the, finally we'll get to the music part of your question. Uh, how did you, why did you choose music? Um, so, uh, like, so when I was 19, my dad died. He had cancer. And uh, we had this weird relationship at the time. I wasn't really speaking to him. Um, and, but then I um, I went to this French camp for after my first year of university. And, and uh, my dad, in the same t- city that my dad lived in, which was Trois-Rivières. Yeah. And he had been hiding for many years, like, hiding now I know there's nothing to hide from but like that was part of the story of why my dad left us and he relocated in this place called Trois-Rivières in Quebec and um so I went to this French camp and reconnected with my dad day one when I reconnected with him like I wasn't staying with him I was staying at the university but so that was I felt like oh safe I could go visit him I didn't have to stay with him and he told me he had terminal cancer. And so that changed. A, that was a pretty pivotal time for me. And then within four months, he was dead. And I that second year university, like I went from being a straight A student um, to, I think, you know, it was just a buildup of a lot of things. But I was definitely like an alcoholic that year. And that's, I spent all my money on shopping and alcohol and partying, which I guess might be pretty typical for university students, but I was very depressed. Like I would between classes, go back to my dorm room, um, and just cry and, uh, and sing, cry and listen to music Mm -hmm. and sing in a corner. So I could, I don't know, like feel the vibrations or something. It was like the self-soothing thing. And, and, and then I just had less and less interest in desire purpose in school and um when i was starting to do things like just like my friends would tell me i had had told me for years i had a a good voice but i had no interest in like what am i going to do with that you know and uh but i would i would be asked to sing like the national anthem at the husky hockey games or like um, the Moosehead game and then friends would get me to sing when we were and you, drunk. And you did the national anthem at these games? Yeah, like, some <laughs> of them, yeah. I feel like singing and, the national anthem anywhere would be one of the more terrifying. intimidating yeah. performances. I don't, think yeah. I, yeah. I don't think I'd do it even though I'm a singer. Yeah, like, it's terrifying. Just, I think I would just, obviously I know the words to the song, but if you make a mistake, it's game over. I have a story about that. But you'll have to. Well, actually, no. Around that time, the year before, I'd gone to a Brian Adams concert with my roommate Angie McDonald at, at SMU, and um, we got 
we 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 got it up to the front row, and I was pulled on stage to sing in the pseudo band he put together. He pulled up <laughs> audience members, right? So uh, uh, a couple weeks before this, it had made the headlines that Brian Adams had forgotten the words to the national anthem at a hockey game in uh. Canada. And so I remembered that, and Brian put his arm around me on stage, and he said, you know, what's your name? And I said, oh, Christina. And he's like, hey, Christina, what do you want to sing? And I said, well, Brian, why don't we sing the national anthem? Uh, How clever uh, of you put on the spot like that, I, too. Listen, I have very few clever moments in that. And then he, uh, people responded, I, and Brian was, I don't except know. Except for Brian. He was like, okay, smartass. Um, then once uh, the audience calmed down, uh, you know, he said, what do you want to sing? I was like, oh, let's do Summer 69. Um, so anyway, I digress. That was a great <laughs> sidebar. You're welcome. Um, so I I quit. You know, I, I really like, you know, I've had dark times in my life, but I will say about myself, I'm not someone who stay stuck for too long but that was a long second year university and I was you know really uh, flunking out and I just I remember calling my mom and saying like I I'm gonna stop I'm gonna I I mean it was the unthinkable at that time for someone to quit university like but my mom was so understanding if this is really what you want to do and she was kind of scared for me but I had gone on the internet and found a job as a nanny in Austin okay so I went to Austin and I didn't know it was the live music capital of the world. And I had this wonderful uh, host family, the Oswald family. And um, they just they gave me their van uh, when I wasn't working to go do whatever. So I, I started exploring Austin. My host dad gave me a cassette tape with like um, Sean Colvin playing like acoustic guitar and Casey Crowley and like some other just like Patty Griffin, like stripped down. And I was like, what the? fuck is this awesomeness (laughs) is it okay to swear on this podcast you can bleep stuff if you need to right um and uh i just i was like so just i was really curious about it so he my host dad was like you know you can go out and hear this music here in austin i was like what he's like this is live music cap all the world and i'm like what i just didn't have any you know clue about that uh whole world of singer-songwriters and so that, I think going that first summer in Austin, going out and hearing singer songwriters and just being so moved by it, and I got into the scene. But I I had to t- teach myself how to play acoustic guitar. I'd never written my own songs really, like with lyrics or anything. And you know, my experience with songwriting was when I was a child and very private. Um, so that was it for me. And then I went to Germany for an aunt to be a nanny for another year because i liked this whole traveling and not having other responsibilities like didn't have the pressure of you know tests and and um i liked yeah not having responsibilities uh too much pressure at that time and and i it was just a series of weird things that would seem to present themselves that were like you should sing you know you should do like i met these pop producers in germany um, and we did a, some demos and then they tried to get me a record deal. Like I actually signed a recording contract with them. It does. I still have it just as a, just as a reminder of how ridiculous sometimes these contracts can be. And, um, it didn't work out, but it gave me the confidence that, that, it, oh, some people liked my voice and I enjoyed singing. So maybe I could do this thing. And I went back to Austin, spent three and a half years there, did my first record and 
you know, that's, but I don't know if I've answered your question, Kristen, like why music? I guess I just got hooked and like the experiences that first, like that music brought to me, like friendships and creative collaborations and just like uh, maybe it was also a little bit of the reaction I was getting from audiences even when I was starting out um, and that kind of intimate or like um, vulnerable thing that I didn't grow up with and I was like this is cool like people are being real with me and I can be real with them and like they're accepting me they're not making fun of me or like teasing me Um, it was pretty addictive and then uh, who doesn't love music? I guess. Well, and ending yeah. up in the live music capital of the world unknowingly yeah, it was a little, feels yeah. a little serendipitous. It, yeah. Do, do you believe in being guided in that way? Oh yeah, absolutely. I yeah. I don't think I realized it so much then, but I looking back now, and even even my now my day to day, I I firmly believe that if you if there's something you want in your life and you start. No matter how hard it is or seemingly unachievable, like you start, you know, writing down and thinking about it and taking the steps and putting in some work, then things do, I think, open up. Um, and if you don't do goddamn thing, then you're you're just you may as well just yeah. <laughs> manifesting just by like thinking of something is not. It's not enough. Yeah, you have to actually take action too. Yeah, yeah. I heard yeah. a really good piece of advice on manifestation recently because a lot of people imagine just the end result, which is often years away in some cases. So, you know, maybe you're 19 and you're picturing yourself playing at the Grand Old Opry and like that's a nice dream to have, but you can't just sit and think about that and it be like the the rest will just fall into place. Yeah. And so the advice was to think about the first step towards that ultimate goal and manifest that yeah so focus on step one and let that be the manifestation and then once you've achieved that move on to step two let that be the manifestation so it's Mm -hmm. and i think it helps it helps our brains also um almost accept evidence that this is a worthwhile way of thinking about things like you have proof that oh manifestation works when it's really putting the action in too that's part of the equation but yeah. yeah, there's been a little bit of misunderstanding, I think, in the idea of like, I'll just think about this dream and like, that's, I'm good. <laughs> a check for $2,000 and like, well, you know, and, and to, if you don't know step one, then then a friend of mine said work, you know, think of uh, your end goal, but then you got to work, like imagine this, all the steps work backwards, then you'll see step one. It's a little bit closer, less, uh, you know, it's also less overwhelming, like um does that planning yeah. look different now that you've been at this for a number of years um yeah I, I would say i mean there's a number of things i maybe thought i had to do that i just don't have on my list anymore because i realize i don't actually need to do that that thing yeah. <laughs> um or um uh i would say now i have some experience in what is achievable and I know, like, I know where my comfort level is. And like, if I want anything great for me, it's usually I got to push it a little bit. I got to be a little uncomfortable. I mean, I, it's painful, but I, it's just the way it is. Like, unless I want things to stay the same, which is okay for a while, but like, um, it's, uh, so, uh, but I also know like, okay, well, I, it, for my mental health, I have to be careful 
you know, I have to factor in like that this might take a little bit longer. It might I don't want to spend X amount of money that, that I don't want to go into debt. So just keep that in mind when you're making your fucking plans, Christina. <laughs> like be a little be realistic, but push yourself, you know. And uh, I didn't I, I guess I at one point I thought things would always get easier and they don't like um, <laughs> I guess the things that were hard, if you do them enough, get easier. But like. If you new things, yeah. <laughs> if you if you are the kind of person who maybe wants to grow always, um, then you know it's realistic for me to accept that it's there's going to be some pain involved, and to be excited about that pain. <laughs> so uh, good pain, like not. Um, I think I think not it's a paper cut. Not necessary like in growth for sure, like. To to grow, you have to typically go through something a little bit hard. Yeah. Well, and it's the bittersweet nature of being a creative person is that for the most part, I would say, we don't have an end point. Like that goalpost is constantly moving to be at the next achievement, like looking at it that way, or just your curiosity. Like we're always interested in things. So yeah, you're methodology to getting there can look different which is great because we get to keep learning but it also means you're kind of always faced with starting over and this is scary and unknown and yeah sometimes painful because it's brand new yeah always starting over and i mean i used to think like part of the plans would be get this get this get this uh maybe it was get a record deal or get this um then you'll be successful and that was part of the plan but i actually just just um, completely eliminated those things which were giving me a lot of grief and then um, focused on, I, like I, which could still be painful for me, is just the actual work and what I want to achieve artistically. And, um, you know, never mind that whole idea of, like, uh, you're going to be successful once you have a hit on the radio. Like, that may never happen for me. Um, well, I think you yeah. have a number of hits. Really, I don't think I have any, but thank you for saying that. What are they? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Quiz time. No, I don't have any. No, seriously, legit, no hits. Yeah, you've had Whoa. such a a fulsome. I feel like you've had a very interesting. Okay, first, I want to start by asking who wrote your bio on your website. Oh, thank you for asking, Matt Lovett. I made a very s- smart move, and I hired this guy who, and he's in the UK. Hey, Matt. No, I'm going to share this with him. So you're going to have another because I'm it. saying the hey, thing. Matt. So I can't, I know I'm a songwriter, but I cannot for the life of me write. Like, Mike, we talked about even just writing, spending weeks trying to craft the opening lines of your grant application, writing about yeah. yourself. Like, I just can't, I find my life boring. I, I can't, ugh, like, I can do spreadsheets and stuff, but I just can't. Anyway, so this, I was like, you know what? I need to find a good music writer. And this guy had uh, written about my music in the past and I liked what he wrote. I mean, he liked the music, but he, it was how he wrote about it. And I was like, well, he's, he knows this better than I do. Like, it's um, excellent. It's one of the best bios <laughs> just period that I've ever read. Well, like, it, listen, if you need the guy, right, I could send you his email. Um, but he has been for this album. I hired him to do all the press releases and, um, I'm just so happy. He's just been delightful to work with. And yeah. so did you guys just have a conversation? You're like, this is kind of about me. And then he put it into writing. 
I think I said I, I I gave him everything that anyone's ever like any of the past bios, and then I think we had a chat, and then I was like, well, just do whatever you want. Fuck, I don't know. And then I gave him like I like I need these kind of assets, you know. Like you usually need a hundred word bio, three hundred fifty, mm-hmm. the long ass one. That goes on the website. The long ass one is where I want people to go check out. The novella. Yeah, go to my novella. It's really, really good. Yeah, it kind of reads like a story. But it highlights highlights so many interesting things that are in your career. So while you might feel like, I haven't had this one moment or one hit, there's been this just splattering of really cool things. Like you've had your music in TV shows. You've won awards. You've played in stages around the world. And... Like you've been with your partner in creating this too, and yeah, so Dale's great. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm pretty. You're right. I'm pretty awesome. Yeah, <laughs> There's, it's diverse though. But so what? Yeah, what's it like creating with your partner too? We don't have a lot of other artist couples in our life. Oh well, I've been so blessed to work with Dale. Uh, not that we don't butt heads and like uh, get super annoyed with each other, because um, hmm. we do. I'm sure he loves working with me all the time um uh we love working together i shouldn't speak for him (laughs) (laughs) he loves it loves working with me i'm so great to work with now uh you know it's interesting like uh it's been nice to work on the podcast with him work work on music is great but like um it's been nice to work on different things uh, with him over the years um so writing for tv writing I'm writing my you know just working on my albums and he really lets me take as much charge as I need to um from a producer standpoint like so I guess one would say that we work well in a co-production setting and um geez, yeah, he's just great to work with uh I think I think I need needed to for all this time like work like work with somebody who um would allow me to voice like what it was I really wanted to achieve like I really need that in my like you know what I guess it's sort of related to that whole like using music as a way to find out what I'm trying to say and how I feel and I have difficulty with that um and he really is patience with me and allows me that freedom and as do all the musicians I work with I've been working with anyway over the years. Um, I think I choose people who not only can are great, have come with great ideas and are super prepared, and um, but also when when I'm like I have a specific maybe idea or something I'm trying to find, they allow they're cool with me being like, "Can we try this? Can we try this?" And I don't always know the lingo because I'm not really super trained um, uh, technically and. They're just so patient and wonderful and kind of, yeah. Did I answer any questions? Are you, we, how are we doing? You're nailing them all. Check, <laughs> checking them off here, my mental I, checklist. I need a gold sticker at the end of So this. you become a nanny coincidentally oh, yeah. Right, yeah. in the music capital of the world. Yeah. You start playing. You start getting the love from people around you. That inspires you to record. Yeah. And then you end up on stage with Wilco. Yeah, that was fucking weird, you guys. <laughs> like it sounds, it sounds fake to me that that even happened. But I can see, like it was yesterday. Um, I I was I, so I, I started out on the open mic scene. I would play with my friends almost every week. Whatever open mics we could find, there were a bunch that you'd 
you would play and get like a meal, beer and spaghetti or whatever, right? Mm. And so we would do that scene every week. And eventually we started doing like our own shows. I did like, I would go to places and say, can I play at this cafe? Before I could get my own gigs at the places where real musicians were playing. And yeah. and then started playing on 6th Street and other places. And um, in any case, I played this, once I had like four songs, solid-ish songs, I played this Mercury Club or Club Mercury on uh, 6th Street. I don't think it's around anymore, but, um, and with another artist, it was like, and, and I don't remember what their name was, but there were like maybe honestly four people in the audience. Um, and the manager was lovely and liked my music. And a couple weeks later I got a call and I remember exactly where I was was in my, uh, in my bedroom, got this phone call and it was this manager at Club Mercury. And they said, listen, the Austin City Limits Festival, there's a surprise show. Wilco's doing it. And the opener, Tiff Merritt, is had to cancel. I think she was sick. And would you be interested? I, I will pitch you to their team if you're interested. And I said, well, let me call you back. I didn't know who Wilco was, you guys. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll think li- it over. I was, I was listening to, I remember at the time, like the Jayhawks and like, I was like, Patty Griffin and Lucinda Williams and Steve Earle and artists like that and um and then like local artists in Austin and anyway I called my producer at the time who's working on my first album Pretty Things uh and I said so there's this band Wilco there's this opportunity do you think he's like what the fuck yes you need to do this they're like the biggest alt country band he said and I was like what alt country what's that in America right now and uh, I was like he's like tell them you I want to be your guitar tech, like, because they wanted me just to play solo. Uh, and so I called back and said yes. And it was a jam-packed room. I'd never done that before. I'd never, and I played maybe four songs. And I borrowed a Guild guitar because my, my guitar was a piece of shit. And uh, uh, so, okay, this is... This is kind of crazy, but I, I'm terrified. All I can think of is I'm, how can I even possibly do this? But I had to do it, right? Like, you don't say no, I yeah. guess, to an opportunity like that. So I'm just obsessing about, like, how I look and, like, my songs. And can I remember them? I was trying a new song. I was back and forth between the bathroom and the stairwell and the back of the club. So I'm sitting at the top of the stairwell on the ground, just in the dark, kind of. And the band, like Wilco, the guys like Jeff Tweedy and and the rest of the band, like they're coming up and down the stairs and they're saying, hey. And I think Jeff was really having a hard time. Like, I think he was sick. Um, So he might have been going back into the alley to throw up. I don't know. But but at the time, they had a new drummer, Glenn. um, And he sat down next to me and... I was like, do you mind if I play this new song for you? Because I'm scared I'm not going to be able to play it. And he was like, yeah, sure. You know, and we're just sitting there chatting. You know, he took a call from his family or something. And and then I went on stage and played. And they were just, the audience was so lovely. I think that I was very hooked after that. Like, yeah, I bet you were. Because it was and what a, a cool moment to have that. Like, did you feel like that calmed you down a little bit? Sitting on the stairs with him? Um, no, I was very... <laughs> <laughs> No, I was just wired and scared. I was terrified. And I remember going on stage and I think I told the audience, like, 
I'm terrified. And they were so quiet. And there were there were hundreds of people in this little club just looking up at me and just so they were so generous. As you know, I was like, okay, I'm gonna gonna give this a shot, you know, I've only got a couple songs and um Did you have yeah. anything recorded at this point? I did just finish my album, but it wasn't like manufactured yet. It was just yeah. like I think being shipped to me. And it's probably a good thing because it wasn't a very good album in my it's not the musicianship and the production was great. I just don't think my songwriting and my voice, like, I mean, it was, it was pretty weak in turn. By my, we all start yeah. somewhere. Yeah. How so, do you, I want to ask both of you, when you're nervous for a show, how do you, like, any, if you're nervous to run a race or something, you're, you're not speaking, like, that has to impact your voice. And then you're asked to go out there and sing with such clarity. Like, is it something physical that you're doing or like, how do you manage that? Yeah, Michael. Well, I think you just get used to it over time. Uh, and as, as time progresses and you do more shows and you're used to different size audiences and different size venues and you're used to all the challenges that may come up, I think you just can, you're a professional, I guess. You, you know how to adapt and you know how to bring the best of yourself out in the moments when you need to be there. And I, I remember when I first started, and exactly like you're saying, like adrenaline is good for s physical things like sports or if you want to sprint fast, like it's good to have adrenaline piling through your bloodstream. But uh, your especially voice, which is a very delicate instrument and, kind of depends what style stuff you sing but i do a lot of falsetto stuff and i remember early on like that was hard to do like i would i would go full voice instead just because i don't know your voice change my voice changed completely once the the nerves s sunk in yeah. and i could still sing but it just was hard to do it in a tender way Hey, Kristen, do you know what's awesome? What, Mike? Real food bars. Mmm, they're so delicious. They are delicious. I take them on my runs with me because they're such clean fuel. Like you're out on the track and you open up a bar while you're running? Yeah, just tear it open right there on the spot. That's versatile. They source all local ingredients. All local? So they call themselves Made with Local because they support so many local farmers and food makers. Where are those farmers based out of that they support? Nova Scotia. Holy smokes, this is <laughs> getting even better and better. Where can you buy their products? So they still manufacture in Nova Scotia, but you can find their product all across Canada now. This is unreal. And they started out as just a small table at a farmer's market and have now achieved B Corp certification. That sounds pretty fancy. Yeah, they have tons of delicious flavors. I'm partial to anything with peanut butter and chocolate, as you know, but That's... they also have lemon and blueberry, uh, gingerbread for the holidays. Oh man, they are pretty darn delicious and healthy. Like when I eat like seven in a row, if I ate seven Mars bars, you know, I'd feel like I was gonna die, but I eat seven of those and I feel like I can take over the world. Yeah, you could lift a car after yeah. that. 
Yeah, you get this like power in your bones. Made with local. And where can we find these bars and all the great products they create? So I usually pick up my real food bars just at our local grocery store, but they're also found in lots of health food stores, gas stations, and little markets across the country. They are doing awesome, and they taste awesome, nutritious, and delicious real food bars. Real food bars made with local. Made with local. Of course, that makes perfect sense. Like that's, I guess, what I'm precisely asking is, of that must happen. And how do you? I think for me, it was just time and experience and like i still think i i still get i don't want to say like nervous like in in at shows but i still feel something like the excitement the energy that's there for that um and and certain shows yeah there's definitely like butterflies because you just want to nail it or whatever and but i'm not terrified to go up or anything yeah but you guys remember uh sketch comedy group picnic face Mm -hmm. yeah and they had they made the movie roller town i I haven't seen it myself we should look that up and see if we can find it but i auditioned i I think just to be an extra or something but i auditioned for this film roller town and i didn't really know what i was getting myself into but we had to go to olympic hall downtown halifax and i wore like kind of a 60s like cute roller skater outfit and hadn't been on roller skates since i was a kid And the audition, they asked you to go in the center of like the ice, essentially, or the room and do a like 30 second routine on your own. And I was like, what the hell have I gotten myself into? Like, what do you mean by myself to do it? So I had this moment where I thought I can either completely just, you know, skate away out of the building, roller skates and all, or go absolutely like full out, like balls out in the middle of this room because it's it's got to be an all or nothing thing. Mm-hmm. And it came more not wanting to get the part, but I was so scared. I felt like that was my coping mechanism was just to give it everything I had. And so that's what I did. I didn't get the part. <laughs> it didn't <laughs> work. So yeah. moral of the story is. Yeah, I didn't necessarily do a good job, but I felt like that was the best way to deal with the nerves in yeah, that yeah. moment. So yeah, yeah. Go, yeah. Maybe singing your guts well, out is like the, the equivalent yeah. to. When the axe murderer was in the shed, like that's yeah. kind of what I did. I just went That's nuts. true. So You had an axe murderer in the shed? Yeah. Have Can we, we tell, told that story? I don't know. Before? Well, now is a good time. Maybe. Uh, what? I don't, I don't know if we did. <laughs> Are they still there? Uh, no, he's he's gone now. Uh, yeah, it was like December twenty third, like the day before my birthday or something, like a few years back, and we saw online. We were just going to bed, and we saw our neighbor who just lives through the woods uh, post saying, "Oh my God, someone just tried to break into my house." And I was like, geez, that's really weird. It's like midnight and winter and whatever. We live in the middle of nowhere, so it's it's really strange. And I said, well, I should go check the shed because we got a bunch of valuable things in there, like bikes and kayaks and stuff. So. What else is valuable, Mike? <laughs> what else and what is um, the value? I have a, yeah. I have a box, just money, loose money, like cash. <laughs> yeah. Some uh, diamonds. Yeah. Pirate chest uh, that we found. Good. Our gold. Oak Island. My gold necklaces are there. Okay. Uh, and it's unlocked? It's <laughs> sometimes. Uh, but it was unlocked that night. Our address is. And I said, oh, I should go check on it. 
And we happened to have a uh, lead pipe uh, that my cousin gave us, kind of a joke wedding gift. Uh, he's like, hey, use this if you ever get into trouble. Not with Kristen. Or get in a fight with each <laughs> other. Yeah, not, yeah. Not, 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 not in trouble with Kristen, you know, like, yeah. if someone tries to break into your house. So, so I'm like, I'll grab the lead pipe. And it was winter out, so there's snow down. And I walk up to our shed. And I just looked around, like, something feels weird. And I walked around the path, and there's fresh snow falling. And it's all woods. Like, there's no, obviously no reason someone would be out there and I saw footprints coming through the woods into our yard uh, and I realized in that moment that someone and it went up to the shed and I realized someone was in our shed and I had the lead pipe and a flashlight I follow the footprints and I'm like what the hell is happening here and uh, you know like I started like basically shaking and I just well I went full Cape Breton ballistic on you them. You did? I just started screaming my lungs. Oh, he screamed like, in a way that I've never before or since heard a human. Like, I can't say it on, on air because this airs on a radio station, but like. Oh, it does? Picture oh, like. We're really going to have to bleep me, aren't <laughs> you? Uh, no, it's fine. But like picture 17 vulgar slash curse words in a row screamed at the top of your lungs. And that was Mike. And then he's like, no. he stops the yelling and he's like. Dear, can you call nine one one? So softly, and so I'm inside. Yeah, I'd called nine one one. I'm on the line with the operator, and she's like, "Make sure you you don't go inside. Wait for the police to arrive." And I'm putting on my boots, and of course, going outside, and and then the yelling stopped, which was terrifying. Uh-huh. You know, like silence was just yeah. yeah. So. I I went outside and the RCMP happened to be in our subdivision because the neighbors whose house had almost gotten broken into had called them. So thankfully we had that head start. They pulled in the driveway and Mike came around the corner and I tried to, well, I did subtly grab the lead pipe from him and threw it in the ditch. It was like this instinct of wanting to protect, protect him. Protect you from the murder? Yeah, in case, because I didn't know what had happened. And <gasps> they all ran into the backyard and this... This kid, really. Uh, <laughs> we didn't miss a big part of the story here, though. Yeah. Oh, what? Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. You tell. We're we're going back and forth with yeah, our experiences. Yeah. Did you murder but him? You go yeah. up to a point and we carry carry it off from there. You know. Oh yeah, I murdered him. Uh, no. Uh, so he came out of the shed. He was bare feet, and uh, he said, "I have an axe. I'm going to murder your family." Oh. And I said, "I get a lead pipe. Let's see what you can do." Amazing. And. Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and uh, I was looking. I couldn't see if he had an axe. Like, I did because there were axes in our shed. So, like, he oh. legitimately could have just grabbed an, <laughs> one of the multiple axes in there. And he uh, Holy he sh- came towards me, and I, like, I had the lead pipe ready to. And you're like crack a big, him. you know, for audience uh, new listeners. Mike's a, a tall gentleman, a big, <laughs> you're so nice, but if I didn't know you and you're screaming, I'd be like, you yeah. are, are uh, yeah, I'm scared. Nobody called him nice that night. No. Yeah, thank um, God. And yeah, he was, he was obviously on some type of drug. I didn't know what it was, uh, what was happening, but he's bare feet in the snow and like slurring and mumbling. And I'm like, okay, I, I've heard on stories that people on on bath salts are uh, have like incredible strength, so I was a little nervous. Yeah. But uh, yeah. he came towards me, which was towards the house, 
And I was like, am I going to hit him or are you going to push him? So I better not hit him because I don't really want to kill someone. Mm. And uh, so I, I pushed him and he went down and then he ran off into the woods to our neighbor's house and tried to break into there. Oh, wow. Like another. This Just, is the third house yeah. impacted. And then the cop, this was when Kristen uh, came and the cops were there. She threw the lead pipe out of my hand because she thought I might have killed him. Oh, that's and, awesome. Uh, that's 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 smart. It's that's funny what your reflexes are. Like you yeah. wouldn't, like the cops would have been that like, "Well, yeah. who did this?" Yeah, <laughs> really. Why would you throw the pipe? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. and then, yeah, they took him about forty-five uh, minutes to arrest the guy. Yeah, and, it was quite uh, an episode. This is yeah, he, wow. he never even got charged for it. Oh, like why that not? seems weird. Why not? No one wanted to press. Char- I, like, I don't know. They just oh. Yeah, he spent the night in the drunk tank. Yeah. Okay, uh, that's it? Well, oh. and we've, I don't know, we've talked about this since and been like, he was a young white kid, and how different might this story be? If- mm-hmm. He had to have yeah. some connection. Like, you some- can't do that and not get in trouble without your parents being lawyers or yeah. something. It just right. felt fishy. Yeah, Something yeah. about it felt. And, and actually, the next day, we went out just to <laughs> scope out the, the crime scene, and There's we found a, a bag of drugs and a $20 bill yeah. like, oh, wow. for your troubles. Yeah. Okay. The $20 nice. was just like blowing in the both. top of the snow. Really? Oh, that's <laughs> and a nice. a bag of meth or, I don't know, it was like a green powder. I don't know yeah. huh. that many drugs, but it was, yeah. wasn't the ones I know. Yeah. And... Uh, and I picked it up and I'm like looking at it like, what am I doing? I just like threw it on the ground and threw it in the ditch with the pipe. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> you really set up a scene for yourselves there. Get the <laughs> it's pipe. Like a game of act. Clue. Yeah. Uh, that's, um, but that's anyway, quite that the was story. the, that was the, uh, axe murder. What, how did we come on to this story? Um, we were probably talking about how boring my life is and how <laughs> exciting this is. A, that's going to be in your new book, right? The, um, uh, well, we are in a small town now, but you guys yes. live in a pretty isolated community. Now. And I shouldn't say isolated, yes. but a no, small town. I mean, it, we live on a dirt road in Port Howe and a uh, small community. Um, that's the end of my story. Yeah. You <laughs> haven't had any uh, no, arrests, very for- any crime? <laughs> Fortunately, we've been, no. Uh, the police, <laughs> uh, We I've called 911, but mo- mainly for, uh, well, one time there was, a, we think, a raccoon on our roof, but we, uh, we thought Call it was- guys guys it was it was quite scary and uh it we it was probably a raccoon but we thought it was a person on our roof okay and this was during covid this was like a year after the mass you know the mass shooting and like so we were like we were just nervous and i'm sure everybody was going a little um was easily triggered um this was like less than a year later uh following the shooting so we and it just sounded like someone was slowly coming down off the roof and t- going to walk into our window of our bedroom so i was like dale get your clothes on get in the hallway right now and i called 911 and so that was the second 911 call the first one was um i had started a brush fire i was so excited about <laughs> burning this pile of brush We've been working on this pile, piling it up for a long time. And I was like, I can't wait to burn this. I just uh, underestimated uh, the power of fire and the timing. Uh, Seasonally, it was just a little too dry. 
So this fire was large and then just was really spreading in a circular direction. Large and in charge. Yeah. And so luckily that day we had just put large sheets of metal out for the pickup, for the uh, yearly pickup. And I'm, if there's one, another thing I'm good at, it's, it's responding to uh, emergencies quite quickly, like finding some kind of solution. Anyway, if there's one at hand. Uh, so I ran, got the, the oven mitts in the house, um, told Dale to call 911 and I grabbed these sheets of metal and we kept, we, we put them all around the fire and started smothering it. It was getting quite large. Like there was like, you would have thought after, after we ended up, you know, basically putting the fire out just as the trucks were arriving. Um, and everyone had a good laugh. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Uh, in any case, mm, that was scary. And okay, so there, that was nine one one call number. That's me. So yeah. So then the third one, third nine one one call was me. So I don't drink any alcohol anymore. But uh, and I, I have had alcohol when it's been fine in my life. And I used to be a really good drinker, like an athletic drinker. Like we would have a great time too. But. And then as I got older, it just got more problematic in the sense that whenever I would drink, it was like emotionally just I would be wrecked. And um, it was just really a horrible experience. And but anyway, I still loved the I, the romantic idea that drinking would I could be a drinker or like enjoy a drink. And I love like martinis and um, that feeling that alcohol makes you warm and um, fuzzy and until anyway so this one night after a year of not drinking tequila um but having had a positive experience with tequila in florida because i only had a little bit um i decided we were gonna have a margarita night and had uh made myself a very stiff drink and then my i insisted my husband make me another one and then i passed out woke up had a huge panic attack called 911 they came and like gave me the iv and like vital signs were all great but i thought i was gonna die Mm -hmm. so i guess what i'm saying is not much happens out there except for me like calling 911 and really like eating up the services you're creating (laughs) your own entertainment out there you pay like 50 cents a year you might as well take advantage of that I, i did yeah, and now they probably are like, if I call again, they're like, here she is again. Like, what's the non-emergency? It's Christina on the phone. <laughs> yeah, should we get this one? <laughs> um, should we help her this time? Well, it seems like you always sort it out in the end yourself, though. That's right. Yeah, yeah you're a problem solver. <laughs> I am. I am. I think uh, that I learned possibly from my parents the ability to think fast. Got to act fast. Got to. So after the big Wilco show. Oh, yeah, right. That. Where do you go from there? She played for the Queen after that. Nowhere. <laughs> right yeah, after? No. Oh, my gosh. Well, I guess I, I guess it was um, pretty, you know, chill after that. Like, I moved back to Can- to Atlanta, Canada, because I uh, wanted to go back and get my education, because everyone was like, you need to get your education. Uh, I still didn't think I was going to do music full time. I didn't know how to do that. But moving to Nova Scotia, thank God that I did because I learned from other local musicians that you could like make a go at it. And like Music Nova Scotia, ECMAs, they were like willing to offer us educational opportunities, like to kind of train ourselves on the business. And I saw other artists doing this thing, like Rose Cousins and Jill Barber, Megan Smith. And I mean, I already knew there were like some, some, 
male folks like Matt Mays and Joel Plaskett that had like labels and managers and stuff. But like, I guess I didn't have any of that. So I was really inspired when I saw other artists that didn't necessarily have that in the beginning doing it themselves and the, and they were women mm-hmm. and they were around my age. So I, I, I thought you had to be like 16 and get a record deal to make it in the business. And, um, sometimes I still like that's still in my brain, even though I know it's bullshit. Um, so that was always fighting that, like, it's too late. It's too late for me, you know? And then I saw these other women doing what I wanted to do. And I just dedicated myself to learning as much as I could. And really like, I just, I just made my life revolve around this thing I was obsessed with getting better at. And um, so for then, I yeah, then what was the question? <laughs> we had our friend Nancy Regan on, and I Hi, know Nancy. she's a friend of yours as yes, well. love Nancy. She talked about, in her book and on, the, on, on our podcast and yours as well, about the idea of what would the neighbors think. Mm. Did you ever go through any of that? And I ask that because you're talking about, you know, I thought I'd, I, I thought I had to be this right, in order yeah. for this life to be a success or what, what I imagine it to be. Yeah. So did yeah. that, those thoughts creep in for you along the way? Oh yeah, I'm sure they did. Um, and then somebody like I like cared about or that was kind of important in my life, like I would die and I'd be like, oh fuck, who cares? I mean, yeah. oh, shucks. Who cares? Um, it doesn't matter what other people think. Um, you know, it, it I think uh, I still I'm, I'm sure I still care about uh, what some people think, like like my husband, like I. I do care that we have a healthy relationship, so I am considerate of what he thinks and what he thinks matters, but um. I don't really care. I don't think what anybody else thinks. That's Just, nice. I don't think it any, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't have my hair done today. So obviously I care, but I do. I really like, I want it to look a certain way for this thing I'm making. And I want it to, you know, I want to express myself and have a certain sound and look and, uh, you know, like, so I still think I'm mostly doing it for me, but I must, Care some, I must care somewhat of what. I think we all do to a certain extent, uh, some some more than others, but I think it's a fairly human thing to to care what other people think. Like that's how we became who we are. I'm sure back in our our tribal days, it was important for the other people in your on your team to like you and to yeah. just be be there for you so you had to do things that made them like you i guess yeah and i i do think that i mean I, I would love for more people to connect with what i do um so when i'm writing something now or putting something out, i'm thinking well okay this is pleasing to me but i also think like i don't know i hope that it will be pleasing to it'll find its audience like I, i'm not like i don't care if anybody listens to this song or like i mean i but there has to be a part of me that first believes in it and that believes like i like it maybe someone else will like it because other people like the kind of music i like so i don't know but i don't know what i'm talking about 
Yeah, I think that's very relatable. And it's something that we've talked about often here with ourselves and guests is separating, especially when you're thinking about authentic creativity, like whatever that means in how often are you writing a song or making a painting that's just for you? Like not very often because it's our it's our job for starters. So there is some kind of attachment to it in that way. But I I think it is healthy to have a little bit of that woven in. And and for some people, it's doing something separate. So maybe it's cooking with no strings attached or, yeah, whatever other ways of creative expression, too. So do you weave those things into your life, too, to kind of separate from the work and then just exercising the creative muscle? You mean cooking? Yeah, or cooking like, could oh, be it. I do. I mean, I think I do. Like when I start, when I was in Austin, I was gifted a book called The Artist's Way with Julia Cameron, right? And she talks about like, do you have, are you, you going to pull it out, Mike? Somewhere yeah, nearby. I'm yeah. sure it is. And, um, <laughs> you know, so I learned discipline and like, um, I learned the importance of like um, finding joy in all the things you, you do. And I'm, of course, in my, everywhere that I moved or lived for a while, like when I lived in Germany and even Austin, like the families were so into like taking time to cook together and like, um, you know, just, I don't know. I was always making, I was always working to make time in my day to do all the things that were like, I love exercising. I love, um, there was a while where I tried to do hooking. I mean, it was, it was terrible at it, but like, um, just, yeah, I, I think, uh, I actually don't, you know, writing songs is a, is a, kind of a seasonal thing for me sometimes like I'm spending a lot of time doing the music business thing project managing coming up with project ideas working on music videos like you know the launch plans and all that stuff and then um what else do I do podcast now and um so all those things you know I guess like if I feel like I don't have uh a lot to say with music because I just finished recording a new album and I'm just kind of like empty right now from that. Mm -hmm. There's other things that fill me up. So the conversations you have with your guests on your podcast or this com these conversations, like I just find this uh, all part of it. Like it's, yeah. What do you enjoy about podcasting? Um, the, the time to connect with people. Cause a lot of the time that I do find it, uh, songwriting or just, um, I don't know, whatever I, it is that I do is very, it can feel solitary. Um, and I like time alone, but I, I spend a lot of time alone. Um, but I do really love getting to meet people and connect and hear what they're doing in their lives. And like, even if we're not making music or you know, we're, I love this. And I, so I think that's the most fun is just because you get so busy and distracted and, um, you know, we don't hang out with, or at least I don't, especially where we've moved two hours away from Halifax and live on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere. Um, uh, and you know, I can uh, get busy with, um, causing trouble and calling 911. <laughs> so, it's good for me to have a set time where I'm like, I'm not going to bail on, you're not going to bail on like that call or, um, it's, it's, it, it, this day and age, it seems to be easy for people to just ditch or bail or, um, you don't really ever know the reasons why, but with the podcasting, like, it's kind of like, 
everyone's excited to do it and you, you should, yeah, it's, I don't know. I just love the conversations. That was a roundabout way to just say it's nice to connect. Yeah. You know, I noticed that both on your website and your podcasts and multiple different things you do, you try to make things really accessible. Uh, how does that become an important thing to you? Oh, well, I think um, this is, oh, it's always a more complicated answer than, uh, I wish I had like a, uh, a two sentence answer to that. I'll think of it. Um, you know, okay, so I think when I, when I, in my early 20s I, in Austin, my roommate was a special education teacher and she got me uh, into doing respite work. So I work privately uh, uh, with families, um, with young adults and adults um, that lived with an intellectual disability or combined, you know, physical disability um, or mental illness. And then I would always like uh, kind of have these jobs on the side for many, many years. Eventually, after university, was a, a counselor with the RRSS, Regional Residential Services in, in Halifax. Um, so so when, when you're, uh, you know, working in that setting, you're always kind of like I had learned to keep uh, an eye, an ear to the ground for like um, accessible events. Um, for my clients, I mean, even at high school, my one of my first jobs was working at a seniors facility. So you're you're starting to look at places in public with like, well, I can't get you know, um, I can't get Henry into this because it's not wheelchair accessible, or you just you're thinking about transportation, you know, and how it's just kind of there. It's like a it becomes part of your workspace, and and certainly my training and some of my jobs. Um, um, so then I then I kind of put that all aside when I went full on music, and then um, I didn't think about it too much, and except when like my friends or family who like maybe were living with mental illness struggled with getting out to a show, and I knew they loved my live music, but like maybe um, it was just too overwhelming for them to be in a confined public space. So I would think about it in that capacity. How could it? How could I make it more comfortable for people to feel like come out and? Um, and then I had friends who, um, were partially sighted or blind. So, you know, every now and then I would, you kind of like, you, you'd make a call to the venue, you know, we can expect my, uh, my friend, this is their name at this time. Can we make sure somebody's keeping an eye out? Cause I'm, I'm going to be busy with the show. Um, but I had a, eventually I, I didn't think about accessibility for the most part. I just played anywhere and everywhere, you know, um, I just, yeah, so one, but after one show in Toronto, I invited a friend to come out. My friend uh, uses a wheelchair. And I checked out the venue. They said they're wheelchair accessible. After the show, I noticed they had not been there. And they wrote me an email and said, well, uh, I waited outside. I could, there was no sign for how to get in. Nobody helped. Like, there was no ramp. So they had to, they took all that time to not only get a ticket, they took the, you know, had to organize their own transportation to get there, couldn't get in, then had to wait to get back because they had set a time for the pickup. I was mortified. And so that was a big, um, I like eye opener for me, like just to, I had some, I had to, to reconsider some things and learn some things and unlearn some things as somebody, um, you know, who doesn't identify as living with a disability. And so that, yeah, that was the start of kind of 
a long, an ongoing process of like, I've left to learn. And then the, I will say the pandemic gave me the time to really dive in and work with um, a, a sensory friendly and accessible uh, consultant. That person, uh, Crystal Seeberger, Sensory Friendly Solutions, helped me get some funding to, right now we're working on uh, making my website accessible uh, to screen readers. And we've just, we're uh, wrapping up like a 13 song audio described music video project. So I'd started experimenting with the music videos and audio description and just, you know, it's just been, it's taken a long time to find the money, learn like a lot of things. Um, and, and really like, I, you know, you can't assume that like everybody's going to want to consume your music and listen to it. But I guess it was just that I had this opportunity to try and learn and some people helped me get this funding. So I was like, okay, well, why not try? I'm not going to get, I'm probably not gonna be perfect at this. And my music isn't going to be always accessible to every single person, which I was paranoid about. Right. Cause yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I was like so many times I just felt like I'm, I'm going to disappoint someone, but now I've come around to being like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try my best and I'll, I'll admit you know, where I'm falling short. Um, but it's important to let people know who the show's for. What, um, maybe identify some ways you could make your content more accessible if it's possible. It's not going to be feasible and possible for everybody. It just, it, you know, it just isn't until maybe funding is available to everybody and like policies change and there's like, yeah. So I don't know if I answered your question, Mike. I'm going to end all of my answers with, I don't even know if I answered your questions. <laughs> you did. I I love this answer, actually, or just your appreciation and your work and acknowledgement that I might not be perfect, but I'm trying. And I think this is another example going back to how we talked about mental health earlier and uh, mental illness is that it's just... <sighs> You, you might not present yourself or market yourself as an expert in this or an advocate in this, but just your effort is is enough. And it's it shows. Yeah, I'm but it's it, I don't know. It's I think that's all people are are oh. wanting or hoping for. And like those little steps, you, you don't have to be perfect at anything, but oh, it's that's good. Recognizing that like there's a little bit I'm going to put a little bit of attention here and like that's. Yeah, a great start. Well, that's a, I think that's what I'd encourage other people to like, hey, look at me. I'm making mistakes or saying yeah. foolish things sometimes. And I don't for my way is to I have always had to um, go through that. And I like, you know, I say things I'm embarrassed about. Sometimes I'm nervous. I'm terrified. Um, But then ultimately, like I, I, I am try, trying um, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes um and if everybody tried a little bit i think that's uh, we're all just faking it a little uh, bit that's all we can do though in the end just put ourselves out there and see what happens and yeah you know a little little effort goes a long way yeah yeah we have two important questions to end our conversation with okay i'll start with i'll start with the i guess more challenging one and the last one's fairly straightforward God. So firstly, what is your idea of making it? Mm -hmm. And do you feel like you're in a place where you can say that you've done that? Oh, that's a great question. Well, can I say that in some ways I think I've already made it because I've got yeah. a pretty great partner. We have a healthy relationship. I think it's normal in the sense of like, you know, we know how to uh, 
roll with the punches pretty well. And I love the guy's my best friend. So, you know, in my personal relationship, um, and my, and my, I think my family and my friends, like I, I, I'm fairly, I feel like, um, I'm on a good path, you know, it's not perfect maybe, but like it feels honest and real and instead of fake and annoying and stuff. Uh, (laughs) um, professionally like there's a some key things that i already know i want to do that i'm on the path right now to trying to be better at and it and it's scaring me um like with my new album i really um i've set out i I really want to do this one particular project and i'm just waiting on funding but i've also come around to like i'm not going to go you know into debt if i don't get this funding and it's not the end of the world and it was a nice creative dream and I could keep trying but I'm okay with like like it's enough if I'm honestly just playing my songs with my best friend in parts of the world like um that might have to that might be it for us and that's okay um but I've been dreaming of do playing shows with symphonies orchestras so have taken the terrifying steps to invest in you know charting my music for and then the next phase is pitching it. And uh, no no symphony gigs, no offers. I haven't really even been trying yet. I did try once, but we'll no offers. We'll tag all the symphonies we yeah, know in our social great. posts. <laughs> uh, so I, I would like to that to be a part of like what I do is work, is collaborate on those kinds of performances um, because I just believe in the power and the impact of those, you know, that 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 kind of being in the room when that's yeah. going on and i um and uh let's see what else is on my list um your bucket list like that was like honestly as far as this next album like i was like i think after this like i'm and i you know tried these things like if i could le- like just keep writing and become a better writer like i've always wanted to be a better writer like you guys like i would love to be able to write like you guys um like and, yeah, like uh, novel writing or nah, that's prose. too hard. <sighs> yeah, prose. Mm. Um, and I like yes, I'd like to get better at writing prose, and um, but I don't have yeah, that's a, that's as far as I got. Just a better writer. Like I just see myself writing until I'm really old and I can't use my hands anymore. But I don't know if I would ever like you know, release anything other than in song form. But, and I'd like to keep writing music and, but I don't have any dreams of like always putting out albums now. Cause I, I just have, you know, I just, I don't know, maybe cause that's, I don't know why. Maybe I'm tired of, it's a, it's a lot to put out a new record in this day and age and the, what the way I want to and what goes into it, the costs involved. So like, uh, yeah, I'll only do that if it's like really there's I guess a demand for that. But I'll keep writing songs and did I answer your question? I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> this one for sure, you're gonna answer the question. Okay. And it is what is your favorite kind of chips? <gasps> salt and vigener. Salt and vinegar. You're crazy. Vigener. Vigener. <laughs> uh that's what I called them every Friday night, uh, lemonade and salt and vigener chips. And until I was an adult and Dale I think told me it's not 
Like, what do you wash the floor with, Christina? Vinegar. And what do you, what do you, what's your favorite kind of chips? A viganer. <laughs> and he brought that to my attention that I was saying it. Uh, it with lemonade. You have a really tart palate. I loved it. That was like so my your, fix. Yeah. Your mouth insides like peel mm. off every Friday yeah. night. Well, I, I don't because I'm <laughs> vegan now and a lot of the salt and veganer chips, the, one of the ingredients is milk uh, for the coating, I guess. So I don't they don't have um, those kinds of uh, like tongue deteriorating mouth cavity uh, chips where I like. And I'm not a huge fan of like the the plain like original like it's salt and veganer is my yeah favorite. But they're finding a vegan one that. Rips your mouth apart. Yeah, it's it's exciting though. Yeah, when you can get your hands. An exciting on. quest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my mouth is watering right now, and on the way home, I'm gonna have to stop and get some salt vinegar chips somewhere. We'll see what we have in the cupboard before. We, uh, <gasps> Do you have like vegan friendly salt, salt vinegar chips? We have chips? we <laughs> have salt and and vinegar that we could put on something, but then they'd be soggy. Yeah, well, it depends on what we put them on. Yeah, it doesn't have to be chips. Uh, oh, I'm looking forward to chips, you guys. <laughs> well, we have a little treat. We give all <gasps> our podcast guests, so we'll really we'll get yeah. we do. But I feel like it's not going to meet the vegan mark. We'll oh, talk. We'll talk yeah. offline. I might eat it anyway. We have other treats that we can yeah that we can muster. But yeah. if it's something, I could still take it and then give it to people who come over to our house. You know like what you we? Guys when you, you know come what we have. Over. What? Is we just received a box of uh, made with local, made with local <gasps> real, real food, food bars. bars. Are they vegan? <laughs> <laughs> this is yes. a great plug. Yes, this, uh, I don't know. Actually, we'll have to look. I feel like they are. We'll we'll check the ingredients, but I yeah. I'll eat it. I don't care. Yeah, I, this is I'm the worst. We'll send you home with like a, a snack. I'm a near vegan. No, yeah. nearly vegan. No, I'm a, a vegan. But uh, we do eat honey. Okay, oh, I think you'll honey. be safe. Yeah, you'll be good. Salt, yeah. vinegar, honey. We'll come up with something. Do you have dill pickles? Because I love dill pickles. <laughs> yeah, we have too. dill pickles. Yeah, we got those. Just, can I just have a pickle? You won't before be empty-handed. You won't be empty-handed. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, and yeah. thanks for thanks for when you did my podcast. It was very popular, and I'm it continues to. You know, you guys are great. Wow. I love what you're doing. I love. I can't wait for you. You're gonna come sleep over, right? Yeah, we're coming. Yeah, we're gonna have Ouija our Ouija board. night. Dill does not want a Ouija board. I, I'm like, we're doing it. He's like, I don't think we should. He's spooked by it. Yeah. I don't blame yeah. him. That's okay. I, I get it. I don't know. We'll I'm, play Pin the Tail on the Donkey instead. I want to do the Ouija board. Okay. Ouija board it is. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much, Christina. Yeah, it was great to have Thank you. you. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Bye. There you have it, folks. That's our chat with Christina Martin, award-winning, amazing musician, awesome person, just overall, just wonderful gal. I'm excited to go visit Christina and Dale, and maybe we'll uh, come up with our own 911 story after that. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. We'll conspire something. Hopefully not, though. That's <laughs> something you don't want to have. Just happen. to add to the list. And yeah, thanks for listening, folks. Keep uh, reviewing us online, telling your friends about it, sharing it around. And what have you got on the go, Kristen? Well, right now I'm getting ready to uh, go away for the holidays, which will be oh, a lot of fun. Where are you going? You coming with me I'm, still? Oh, sure. I'll go. <laughs> okay, you're invited. Woo. 
So I've been focusing on that, wrapping up holiday stuff. I've got a lot of new things in the works for 2023, so I'm going to hold on to those yeah. little secrets. But uh, you've got a fun Christmas offering. Yeah, my band, The Town Heroes, has released a Christmas movie. And over the last number of years, we've always come out with little sketch comedy videos at Christmas. So we made a compilation of them, tied it together with a fun little narrative that involves psychedelics. And yeah, just there's a good, the true meaning of of Christmas is in this video. And a quote that we got back from one viewer uh, is, the best 37 minutes of your life. (laughs) Well, you can't go get much better than that. A psychedelic 37 minutes of Christmas tradition. And it's for sale. Like We've never actually sold a video before. Just we released thousands and we thought, you know what? We put in a lot of, we put in thousands and thousands of hours and we'll just see if people want to buy it. Sure, if they don't, that's okay too. Like, and yeah, and it's only $10, which is the bucks. perfect price point for a yeah. gift. It's digital. You have it emailed to you. So where can folks pick that up? You can go to our website, thetownheroes.com, and we'll put a link directly to the video in our show notes there. So it's a, yeah, it's a really fun little Christmas video, and you'll, you'll laugh at it, and there's favorite of blood and yeah it's you know typical christmas movie very typical yeah i've seen it and yeah it's it's just like the hallmark snoozers huh yeah <laughs> okay folks we'll uh we'll be back merry christmas too is this the last episode before christmas hmm. i think it is look at the calendar we're gonna do just a quick check here it is yeah oh. it's, geez, it's the 21st okay is- you all merry christmas then folks Yeah, holy smokes. Very Merry Christmas. And a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. And a Happy New Year. I think I led that one, didn't I? Yeah, that was almost a harmony in there. Poorly. I'm a little embarrassed because we just interviewed Christina and I'm going out with vocals. Okay, Happy Holidays. We love you.